Good morning, and welcome to all our guests and visitors and radio listeners today. We are happy to have organist Kay Noldy back with us this morning. Welcome back, Kay. The red rose on the altar is in honor of Bill and Edith Henschen, who will be celebrating their 56 years of marriage on May 4th. Happy anniversary. The Gospel Project Bible Study, led by Pastor Joel, resumes today. The class meets following church during the Sunday school hour from 10.15 to 11.15. Please rise and join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you servants, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princesses and with the princesses of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Please remain standing as we sing hymn 216, Christ Arose.
be seated. Keep the family and friends of those lost in our service. In Virginia, Staff Sergeant Nicholas Shepherty, 2036, from Baltimore, Maryland. In Florida, Sergeant First Class Thomas Russell Robinette, 34, from Crestview, Florida. In Texas at Fort Bliss, Staff Sergeant Army Staff Sergeant Amy Colbert, Ni Contreras, 28, from Winnemucca, Nevada. In Camp Pendleton, California, Staff Sergeant Joshua Briaca, 29, from Sacramento, California. In Beaufort, South Carolina, Corporal Tyler P. Wallingford, 21, from Standish, Maine. In Afghanistan, Staff Sergeant Albert J. Miller, 24, from Richmond, New Hampshire. In Iraq, Specialist Michael T. Orsario, 20, from Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. And Specialist Ryan Dennis Oren Riley, 22, from Richmond, Kentucky. In Virginia, Colonel Gregory S. Townsend, 46, from Chesapeake, Virginia. In Seattle, Sergeant First Class Angel Alvario, 37, from Fort Walton Beach, Florida. In Chicago, Seaman Recruit Kelsey Nobles, 18, from Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. In North Carolina, Sergeant First Class Justin Lowell Goff, 29, from Ruskin, Florida. As the children come forward for this morning's children's chat, take this time to greet your neighbor. Good morning, everybody. I, I have two lone soldiers over here, and they're choosing to sit behind the altar. I apologize. <laughs> so um, thank goodness this morning that Mr. Rohrbaugh has agreed to help me, because uh, today is all about praise. And praise comes in a lot of different forms. The most common one people normally think of is music. Music is one of my personal favorite ways to praise God. Uh, praising God, whether you use music or not, it's all about your heart. If you're showing God that you love him in your heart, you're praising him. In fact, some of our old Sunday school songs remind us the most of how to praise. So sing along if you know this one. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river. 
misconception about praise is that you actually have to be good at music to do it. And that's simply not true. The Bible tells us that you need to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Not trained musicians make a joyful noise. Not signed recording artists make a joyful noise. Not totally awesome music teachers make a joyful noise. (laughs) It says make one. So that means every... Anybody can, and everybody should. Like this old good one. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> I love it. So some of the best and most wonderful praise I've ever had the experience to the privilege to experience, has been some of the worst technical singing I've ever heard. And it's usually when I'm hiding in the in the back pews and you see some of the most sincere hearts just pouring out their love. And they may not be able to carry a tune in the bucket, but their heart is so sincere and their praise is so good and their worship is so honest that, you know, as a professional trained musician, it didn't matter. I'm like, that's what I want my praise to look like. Not because the pitches were right, but because the heart was right. So I'm pretty sure you know this next one. Join me. I know you know this one. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Sometimes praise is super fun and we are bouncing up and down in our seats and jumping around and waving our hands. And sometimes praise is quiet and still. But it's all wonderful to God because you love him with your heart. That's my favorite part. It's all about your heart. So even if I miss a note in all of the college degrees and all of the years of experience and all of the, the nerves start coming back, Even if I screw up, if my heart is right, God still loves it. So he loves what you do, too. Whether you are a musician or not, he loves what you offer, what you give him in your worship. (laughs) 
your hands with me. Lord, thank you for joining us together with our teeny tiny group of of children this morning and having a willing, participating audience today. Thank you so much. Help us remember that praise is about our hearts, that praise is about you, and it is not about me. Praise is not about me. Thank you. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Amen. Let's actually continue in a spirit of worship and praise together. I invite you to stand and sing with us number 105, He is Lord. seated. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, we do want to pass on uh, and let you know that uh, Irma Meyer asked you to be in prayer for the family of Irma Meyer who entered into Christ care on Wednesday, April 24th, 2019. Uh, the family will be having uh, a visitation this afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. at Gilberg's in New Bremen and services celebrating Irma's life will be held here at First Church tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. Uh, so please be in prayer for her family and all those who have lost loved ones recently. We, pray, we ask that you now pray with me.
Father, thank you so much that you are a God of comfort and a God of, uh, of peace, the Lord, that meets us in our sorrow and in our pain and in our grief. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is present here in this place and is the present in the life of all believers, Lord. Um, and so as we go through hard times, as we, as we face difficulties, Lord, you are with us. The, your word never promises that life will be easy or that it will turn out the way we expect, but you promise to guide us and care for us and to never leave us nor forsake us through whatever challenges life may bring. And so, Lord, we ask for your peace and your comfort to be with, with Irma Meyer's family. We ask, Lord, for your peace and your comfort to be with the family of, of all these soldiers, Lord, who were lost recently. And, Lord, we ask for your presence and your peace also to be with us, Lord, as we face the challenges of everyday life. May we know and experience your presence and your peace, whatever we may face. And, Lord, we also thank you for this time of year, uh, this Easter season, as we remember, Lord, that you faced death for us, that, Jesus, you entered into death. You willingly gave up your life so that we may live and we may be forgiven. And so, Lord, help us to hold on to the hope of eternal life that you've made available through through Jesus' death and resurrection. I ask, Lord, for um, you to be with, uh, and we ask, Lord, that you would also be with us as, through our joys and, our, and, the, and the good parts of life as well. Lord, you are a God of all seasons, and there's a time for everything under the sun. And so whether it's in our sorrow and grief or in our joy, Lord, we ask that you would uh, make yourself known to us and that we would recognize you as Lord of all. We pray all these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. And once again, we're happy to have Kay Nolte back with us on the organ.
Please remain standing for today's scripture, which is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You may be seated. Thanks, Adam. I'm reminded again this morning why children's chat is such a blessing. Uh, Nikki did a wonderful job. And there are some weeks where I wonder if they got my sermon notes ahead of time and because uh, it is, lines up so well. And this is another one of those weeks. And so I guess I will share a few other additional thoughts. I won't just call it early. But thank you, Nikki. And uh, thank you to, to the other children's chat teachers that do such a wonderful job really helping us understand what the scripture is all about, um, especially for our children. So thank you, Nikki. And thank you to everyone. Everyone else as well. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer here before we open His Word again together. Father, I ask that you would uh, continue our our thoughts uh, and help our thoughts to be on you this morning. I thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to worship and praise you this morning. And Lord, as we begin a new sermon series this day, uh, taking a look at why we worship and why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what your Word has to say to us. And in all things, help us, Lord, to be in a mindset and and have our hearts set on praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jojo is just right at that age. She is four going on 14, right? And she just loves to ask the question, why? And it to be honest, drives Allie and I a little crazy, right? Uh, everything is why, why this, why that? Um, and there's two different forms of the question why. And I want to clarify for a moment here too, because there is the why that questions authority, right? Why are you making me go to bed? Why are you making me eat my vegetables? All of those sorts of things that we have to try to gently encourage her to to just trust us. We're her parents. We love her. We know what's best. And we're we're just taking care of her, right? But then there's the other form of the question why, which is that inquisitive side, which is a good thing that we want to foster. Um, the other day, as, as strange as it may seem, she asked me, I was wearing a, a, a collared shirt that had buttons on on the collar and one on the back. And she just randomly asked me, why do you have a button on your back? And so I had to explain to her that the button is meant to hold the collar in place. And, and there's a reason for it. It's not just there for no reason. Um, and those are the kinds of questions. Those are the why questions that are good. And, and young children like Josephine's age, age ask all the time and never stop. I think sometimes we get to an age or we get to a point of, of, of perceived maturity where we stop asking those inquisitive why questions, don't we? We stop asking why we do what we do, why we do things a certain way, whether that has to do with you know, the clothes we wear and why they're made a certain way or why we worship the way we do, why we do what we do as a church. And so for the next five weeks, I want to kind of slow down a little bit and ask ourselves the question, why we worship? And it may seem pretty self-explanatory, uh, and, and, and to a certain extent it is, but it's also important to dig down underneath the obvious assumptions and, and examine why we do what we do, why we worship, and why we in particular do the things we do. Like today, we're going to be talking about praise and in particular singing songs of praise. 
Over the next several weeks, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk next week about uh, why we why we read Scripture and why you hear me in particular stand up here and talk about it so much. Uh, we're going to talk about things like why we pray together, why we fellowship together, and also why we uh, share the sacraments together, uh, in particular the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at over the next uh, few weeks. And, and so uh, today I want to slow down and, and ask the question, why we worship in general and why we praise Him through song in particular. I mentioned there's a lot of uh, assumptions, especially when it comes to worship and why we do what we do. Uh, for example, there's, there's just looking around this room, I can see a couple that, that just seem obvious, that seem, well, that's just the way we've always done it. But I think it's helpful to maybe use them as, as illustrations to, for you to understand what I'm trying to get at here. And the first is this beautiful stained glass around us. Right? Anyone who's uh, ever walked into our sanctuary, uh, one of the first things we notice is the, the beautiful stained glass dome, the windows around here. But have you ever thought why we have stained glass? What the reason for it is? Well, we kind of lost that nowadays because originally stained glass, one of, one of the original purposes besides its beauty and its aesthetic qualities, was a teaching instrument. It was meant to teach people in a world that was almost completely illiterate about the gospel and about important stories from the Bible. And that's why you get certain pictures in stained glass that are meant to depict scenes from the Bible that are used to teach people who couldn't just pick up a Bible and read on their own. And so nowadays that's kind of lost its purpose to an extent because almost just about everybody can pick up a Bible. We have access to the Bible, whether it's a physical copy of our own or, or pull it up on our smartphones. So, so the need for stained glass, in a sense, has, has changed, uh, but it is still there, and it's a reminder of, of those things. Uh, the other thing is these two candles up here at the front on the altar. Have you ever wondered why we have two candles, why we light them for the services? There was practical reasons in a day before electricity and artificial light, right? Candles were necessary in worship services so that the, the person leading the service could read the scripture and people could see each other, right? Uh, again, because we have artificial lighting, the practical reason for candles has disappeared. Uh, but, but there was also a kind of a theological side to it as well. The candles were mem- meant to represent Christ as the light of the world being present here in our worship services. It was a reminder of Christ's presence here in this place. And there were two candles specifically to represent the dual nature of Christ. There was Christ's divinity. He is the Son of God who came to rescue us and save us from our sins. But he was also the Son of Man. There was the human uh, side of Jesus. He was fully God and fully man. And so churches would often have two candles on the altar to represent Christ's presence in this place and also his dual nature. And so that's a, just a little glimpse into kind of what I'm talking about. We do certain things without even thinking about it sometimes. We, we um, just go through the motions or, or do it because we've always done it. And it's good to understand kind of the why because it gives a little uh, depth of meaning and understanding to our practices and our traditions. And so today I want to begin this conversation of why we worship and, and talk about the kind of worship that God truly desires from his people. And we get a glimpse of that not only in this psalm that, that we just heard read, which we'll get back to in a moment, but also from a conversation Jesus had with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. We're not going to look at the whole conversation that Jesus has here, but I want to focus in on, on just a couple verses, uh, particularly verses 21 through 24. Jesus and the woman had been having a had just had a 
a conversation about, uh, excuse me, the woman had pointed out uh, uh, the discrepancy between the Jews and the Samaritans about the place of worship. And Jesus responds to her by saying, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the, when the, wor- excuse me, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. So these are the kind of worshipers. This is the kind of worship that God desires and involves three things. It's worship in the spirit. It's worship in truth. And it's worship of the Messiah of the Christ. And so we'll begin today by uh, looking at worship from a big picture perspective and then focus in particularly on praise and song and in music. First, it's important to, to understand uh, there's two kind of primary words that the Bible uses to talk about worship and praise, uh, both in the Old and New Testaments, two different languages, but, but the same basic meaning to the words that are used there. The first one is to bow down. Worship is an act of, of bowing down and awe and reverence and respect to someone who deserves it. In this case, we're talking about God. And so people would often bow down before kings or dignitaries, people of importance. But And that's the kind of image that's being described here, that we are called to worship. We're called to bow down and give praise and honor to the one who truly deserves it, to God. And, uh, and so first, there's this idea of bowing down. And second, it's the same word that's used to describe service. We're called, worship is to serve the one who deserves our worship, to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, to love him and to love our neighbors like ourselves. That is at the heart of what worship is all about. And so with that in mind and with, with this conversation Jesus has with the woman at the well, let's, let's look about what worship truly is. Worship, first of all, is Christ-centered. When Jesus talked about what true worship is, the kind of worship the Father seeks, he identifies himself as the object of that worship, Right? She says, well, I, I know all these things, and, and the Messiah, the Christ, will tell us about them when he comes. And, and he looks at her and says, well, I'm the one that you're talking about. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And so, so worship is primarily not about us. It's about God, and it's for him. Worship is not primarily about our preferences, our wants, our emotions, our experience, what we get out of it. Worship is primarily about exalting Christ to the glory of God the Father through the presence and through the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a story once of a, a random churchgoer who approached the pastor after the service and said, Pastor, I really didn't enjoy worship today. And the pastor looked at him and said, Oh, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. Right? Now, how many of us have gone through that kind of experience, have had that mindset? You know, it wasn't, I wasn't really into it today. Right? It wasn't really for me. But that's a wrong perspective to have. That if, if we're looking at worship in that way, that means we are the object of our worship, right? It's all about what I want, what I feel like should happen, what, what desires I have. But worship from a biblical perspective is, is not self-centered. It's Christ-centered. It's focused on Him and, and worshiping is about remembering and retelling God's action in the world, particularly through the salvation that he has made available to us through Christ. 
So worship is not about us, it's, it's for and it's about God. And He is the one who invites us into worship, and, and He's the one that initiates the conversation. In Scripture, we see over and over again this pattern of, of revelation and response. God reveals Himself to a people. He reveals Himself particularly and uniquely through Jesus Christ and, and now through His Word. And, and, and so God reveals Himself, lets Himself known, be known, and then His people respond to that revelation with worship. God initiates it. He gives us a glimpse of His glory, His goodness, His mercy, His holiness, His peace, His justice. And we respond to that through praise and worship. Notice in Psalm 100, uh, all of this, this, this commands to, to come into the presence of the Lord. It says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And then in verse 4, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Notice this is about us as God's people entering into God's presence. We come to Him on His terms, not our own. Because it's about Him and making Him the center of our worship. God is ultimately the reason why we worship. His, his goodness, His characteristics are our motivation for praise. Verse 5 in Psalm 100 reminds us that the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So the first four verses of this psalm are all about imperatives, commands, praise the Lord, make a joyful noise, uh, give thanks and praise His name. It's this command to God's people to worship. And then verse 5 gives us the reason. Why, why do we do it? Why do we worship? Because He is good. Because His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness continues through all generations. Notice that none of those things are dependent on us or how we feel whether or not we want to worship Him in a given moment. The reason for our worship, if it is God-centered, isn't dependent on our emotions on a given day. Our motivation, our reason for worship truly is in God's character. And none of those things are dependent on us. They are always true, no matter what. Which is a good thing, isn't it? Right? God's faithful love will endure forever. God is good. God's faithfulness will continue through all generations no matter how I feel and no matter what I think on a certain day. Praise God that His goodness doesn't depend on us. And therefore, His, His worthiness of our worship doesn't depend on us either. He is always worthy of our worship. So God, Christ-centered wor- or worship is meant to be Christ-centered. And Christ-centered worship is also based on truth about God revealed to us in His Word. The very central part of this psalm is a command, verse 3, to know these things. Know that the Lord is God. Know that He made us. Know that we belong to Him, that we are His. And know that we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. You know, these, this command to know reveals that worship is not just about how we feel on a given day, but it's about the truth of God revealed to us through Christ and His Word. And these things speak to that covenant relationship that God calls us into. In other words, He made us to know Him and to be in a relationship with Him. And, and the proper response to that relationship is worship and praise. Again, it's that revelation response pattern. He calls us into that relationship and we respond with our thanksgiving and our worship. And knowledge, it really does drive our worship. The more we know about God, the better we understand the gospel the more we'll be driven to our knees in awe and worship and praise of the God who made us. 
The book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, are really all about theology, all about how we can know God, about the, the, the goodness of God's gospel. And Paul spends almost 11 entire chapters kind of working through and working out the gospel and its implications for us as his people and for the world. And at the very end of, of these 11 chapters, uh, Paul breaks out and almost you can almost hear him singing, right, praise at the end of chapter 11, beginning of verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. In other words, Paul's lesson on theology, his, his description of the gospel, didn't just stick in his head. It wasn't just about intellectual knowledge, but it was, about, it, was, it was that knowledge of God and the gospel that drove him then to praise and worship. And the same is true for us. And we'll talk more about that and why that is next week as we talk about Scripture. But for now, know that, that the more we know about God, the more we understand His goodness, the more it should drive us to praise and worship Him. So worship is meant to be Christ-centered. It's meant to be based in, in the truth of God revealed in His Word. And then finally, we see that worship is also meant to be done in spirit and, and in song. To worship in spirit refers to our own emotional experience of worship, whether that is feelings of joy and awe and wonder and, and, and a sense of God's majesty. And it also refers to the connection that we have to God through His Holy Spirit living in us. I mentioned before that, that worship is, is, is exalting the Father through the Son and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the ways that we connect to that emotional experience, those feelings of joy and awe and wonder, is through music and song. Again, let's look at Psalm 100 and all the commands, the imperatives that are there for worship. Shout for joy to the Lord, or in some translations, make a joyful noise. Worship the Lord with gladness. Right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Notice that, that worship is meant to be experienced and particularly through song and through music. Music has always had a special place within human culture in general and, and God's people in particular. And so it's no surprise that for us to think that we are, as we gather to worship God, that music and song would be a part of it. Now I have to be honest, this is about the only time of the week, the only group that I'm a part of that we gather and every time we gather we know there's going to be music involved, right? Imagine showing up to worship on Sunday morning and, and Kay and Sharon and the choir just weren't here. Right? That would have that would be weird, wouldn't it? To not have music, to not have song be a part of what it means for God's people to gather and worship. It's because music is just such an intrinsic part of of human culture and, and God's people in particular have always sung God's praises. It just helps us to um, to connect with God in, in, a, in a profound way that goes beyond just knowing facts. And so there's, there's some reasons why we sing, and I want to highlight a few of those for us this morning. First of all, God commands it. Right? Look, again, look at Psalm 100, these five verses. They're full of commands. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, sing to the Lord. If you want to, you can get together with others and sing some songs. 
Now, God's people are commanded, are instructed to praise him through song and making joyful noises. Really, there's a biblical mandate for us to do so. And in the Psalms, if you want to think about, we're really the, the hymn book of God's people for generations and generations. These Psalms weren't meant to just be read and reflected on and meditated on. They were meant to be sung. Uh, you see throughout, uh, throughout the Psalms, if you're going to do a quick uh, uh, browse, you see there's headings through under most of them, and some of them have instructions for the choir director, right? Are meant to be sung to the tune of the lily of the valley or whatever. You know, there's there's instructions there for music to be uh, put to these words. In some terms, we're not even really sure what they mean. You see the word Selah repeated throughout the Psalms, and, and we're really not sure what that means. It was probably some sort of musical notation or instruction for the choir director uh, that has been lost in the generations, a uh, signal for some sort of musical interpretation there. Uh, besides the Psalms, we have the example of people like David, of of Miriam, of Mary, of Zechariah, people that have... Uh, we have their psalms, their songs recorded in Scripture of, of times of praise. There's also specific mandates in Scripture in the New Testament for us to uh, praise God together as his people. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, uh, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. Thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? There's a command, there's an expectation that when God's people gather together, there will be music. When God's people gather together, his praises will be spoken but also sung. And that's why we do that here in the morning. Uh, and, and it's not just something that is unique to us. We are joining in the song of all of God's people that, that have gathered uh, from from the birth of the church till now, all over the globe and and also into the future, right? We are gathering our our voices with that song of God's people that that are lifted up to Him on a on a continual basis. I love the scene from Revelation chapter four of the worship that takes place in heaven that is that is happening now and will happen throughout eternity. In chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, uh, beginning with verse 8, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and, uh, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So when we worship together, it's not just about us sitting in this room or those that are listening on the radio. It's about joining our voices with all of God's people from all time as we praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we, also, so we sing because God commands it, but it's also a vehicle for expressing our faith. By singing praises to God we, and by singing our faith, we, in a sense, take ownership of it as well. And, and we see that from the very birth of the church, hymns were used to, to, to kind of teach and express the faith of God's people. 
We see examples of that in Scripture from Philippians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1, both examples of of praise and worship uh, that Paul expresses that were most likely early hymns or early psalms that the church would sing as they gathered together. And music really does help us remember our faith and help us to understand our faith by putting what we believe to music. Music has a way of sticking with us that that sermons and, and other things don't always uh, don't always uh, remember, right? We we can recall the words to our favorite songs much easier than you can recall a quote that I spoke six months ago, right? That's just human nature. Music has a way of just embedding itself in our minds and in our hearts. And so when we sing God's praises, when we sing our faith, it's a way for us to remember and take ownership of what we believe. You know, think of our kids that sing VBS songs all year round, the same five songs over and over and over again, right? The reason why we do that, that it sticks with them because, because it's the simple truth of God's salvation and his gospel put to music has a way of sticking with them. And we do the same thing, right? When we go through uh, significant moments in life, uh, it's, it's often God's it's often those, those hymns, those praise songs, the music that is meaningful to us that comes to mind in those moments. Every time I sing Amazing Grace, I think of being at my grandfather's wake when I was younger and singing that together as a family. Right? That, that song has, has significance and meaning to me, not just personally, but also because of the lyrics and, and the theology that it teaches. I really do believe that we, we sing what we believe and we believe what we sing. Right? Music has a way of, 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 of sticking in our hearts and in our minds, which is also why it's important for us to think, sing songs that are theologically sound. We want to make sure that what we sing is the gospel and is true to the Lord. And, and, um, and the hymns and the praise songs that we sing should reflect that. Singing also has a community effect. It really does break down the walls that separate us. It breaks down our, our, our drive towards individualism and builds the togetherness that God's people are supposed to be defined by. It's inclusive. As Nikki pointed out to us in Children's Chat, right? Anyone can do it. Young and old, trained and untrained, beautiful voices, and people like me who cannot sing at all. We can all lift our voices together and praise God. When I started here, I remember telling the sound guys, all right, I'm going to sing up there when we sing as a congregation, and you need to make sure my mic is off because nobody needs to hear that, um, especially the people on the radio, right? We don't want to scare people away. But that doesn't matter. I'm still going to sing, and I'm still going to praise God because it doesn't matter what my voice sounds like. What matters is that my heart is in it, and we are together singing God's praises. And there's something just amazing about being in a room full of God's people and hearing their voices lifted up together in praise. It's just, it's, it's inspiring and it lifts each other up. And so, so not only does it break down individualism and it, and it's, uh, it brings inclusiveness to the group, but it also helps inspire us and encourage us to live out our faith knowing that the people beside us in the pews are, are singing that same song and proclaiming the same faith and the same praises gives us inspiration to continue to live for the Lord each day. Now the question is, you know, what if my heart isn't in it, right? What if, what if I'm not feeling it? Does that mean that I, I have a free pass for worship, that I don't need to be here, don't need to be involved? 
But I do believe that that there are days when we're just not feeling praiseful, if that's a word. We're not feeling full of praise and, and, and adoration of God. Some days we just maybe don't want to be here. And it's in those moments that I want to encourage you not to give up on it, but to wait expectantly on the Lord. Psalm 40 is a, is a psalm that talks about how God lifted David out of the pit and, 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 and set his feet on a rock, and in doing so, he praises the Lord. But the key in that verse in Psalm chapter four, the 40th Psalm, verse 1, is that he waited expectantly on the Lord. He was in a position where he wouldn't feel like praising God, that he was surrounded by trouble and anxiety, and then God lifted him out of the pit. But the, the, what happened in the meantime was that he waited expectantly on God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not feeling it, if your heart isn't in and on a given day, to wait expectantly on God. Not passively, but expectantly. And I think that means three things. First is that we look expectantly to Jesus. We focus on Him and not ourselves. We focus on God's glory and His goodness, not on how we're feeling in a given moment. So we look expectantly to Jesus and we pray and we ask Him to help us worship. Say, God, I'm not feeling it, but help me to feel it. Help me to want to worship. Maybe that means confessing sin and and receiving God's forgiveness. Maybe that means just asking the Holy Spirit to soften our heart and change our minds in that moment. But but we want to look expectantly to Him and then also pray and ask Him to help us be ready to praise and worship Him. And third, we focus on who God is as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned already, and we'll talk about more next week, biblical truth, the, God's revelation to us is fuel for worship. The more we, we know about God, the more we will be ready and to worship. And so one way to help us get over that feeling uh, is to meditate on Scripture, even the words of the song, and think about what they mean. And if those things are true, if Scripture is true, if the words are true, what does that mean for me and my relationship with God? And then I guess there is a fourth step, repeat as needed, right? Because we're going to have those days. We're going to have those moments where we don't feel like praising God. Uh, and so, so at, whenever we encounter that, we're, we're called to wait expectantly on Him. I want to close with a reminder that as we talk about worship together, and particularly praise, it's not something we do. It's not just songs on a Sunday morning. Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. It's a commitment to, to living for God in response to His goodness and His glory each and every day. And so worship isn't something we just do on Sunday mornings together, but it is, it is the way we live our lives. Looking back at the passage from Romans I read earlier at the end of chapter 11 where Paul breaks out and prays and, and worship of the Lord as in response to, to the gospel and God's goodness. The very next verses, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this. Therefore, in response to God's goodness, in response to his glory, in response to all that he has revealed to us, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, praise, worship, Adoration of God isn't meant to be contained to just this room or just this hour of the morning. It's meant to be a lifestyle. It's meant to be a commitment to be a living sacrifice for God. That is our true and proper worship in this world. To live for Him each and every day. 
and to sing his praises with God's people, but also live out his praises in our lives. God desires consistency between our belief and our actions, between our worship and our life. And so praising God, not just with our lips, not just with music, but with our actions and our lifestyle is what God desires as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time this morning to to reflect on your word and to worship you together. And I pray now that as we close our service, you would help us to once again sing your praises. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us number 210, Jesus Paid It All.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You may go in peace. Amen.